some days in the church that uh, are to be remembered. We remember when we remember resurrection, and in the church we tend to uh, remember resurrection as probably the biggest day on the calendar, and I think we've probably missed it a little bit. I think Pentecost is probably the biggest day on the calendar. Uh, the resurrection is is a great day, and we want to remember that, and we and we do. And that was when, of course, Jesus died, and then then he came up out of the grave. But if you listen to the way Jesus talks all throughout his ministry, he always talks about. I can hardly wait. He just gets almost giddy when he talks about it. I can hardly wait till I can empower you with the Holy Spirit. This is the, today is the culmination of why he died, why he, why he came, why he died, why he rose from out of the grave, why he took all of our sin. He took all of our sin so that he could redeem us, so that he could wash us clean, so that we would be a clean vessel, so that the Spirit of God himself could indwell his people. That should make the church excited. And on this day, we remember that. And you say, Pastor, if we remember that, why, why have you been talking about Ruth ever since Easter? Well, if you were a Jew, you would be reading Ruth and it would be leading you up to the... And I'm telling you, the story of Ruth goes straight along with this story of redemption, this story of coming to the kinsman redeemer. We're completely destitute. We have nothing to offer. And yet the kinsman redeemer comes, redeems us, And not only does he redeem us and take us and makes us right, gives back what was lost, but then he has the audacity to introduce us and make us be part of the redemption story for years to come. He doesn't just save us so he can say, you're saved, you're you're here on this, we're going to put you up on this uh, shelf and watch you. He saves us, and then he saves us for a purpose, to introduce us and to be brought into the the act of redeeming others. He asks us to be part of that. What a wonderful, what a wonderful story. So as we think about that this morning, we're going to go back to Ruth, we're going to read the last chapter of Ruth this morning. So let's all stand in honor of God's word. The harvest time is nearly over. Ruth has been in the field gleaning and she's got quite a bit of grain, but there's not going to be enough grain to get her and Naomi through the rest of the year. Naomi knows that. They have no hope of going forward. And so this is, Naomi has a plan And she shares that with Ruth. Let's read this together. This is my Bible, the living Word of God. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. I can do what it says I can do. This Word is the truth. It never changes. It can never be destroyed. Right now, my mind is alert. My heart is open. I'm about to receive a life-changing experience. I will never be the same in Jesus' name. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. When the kinsmen, when the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along Boaz said come over here my friend and sit down so he went over and sat down Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said sit here and they did so then he said to the kinsman redeemer Naomi who has come back from Moab is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech 
I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest you buy it in the presence of these seated here, in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he says. He thinks this is a good deal. There's no one left to to, uh, be an heir or anything. Then Boaz tells him the whole story. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth, the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow. In order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, it costs him everything, but he's not going to get anything out of it. At this, the kinsman redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. Remember what we talked about last week? It costs a lot. that's why no one wants to redeem no one wanted to redeem us but jesus said it cost me everything but i will and this is what we're seeing in this story because i might endanger my own estate you redeem it yourself i cannot do it now in earlier times in israel for the redemption the transfer of property to become final one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other this was the method of legalizing transactions in israel So the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth, the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all those at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephraim. Anyway, and be famous in Bethlehem. I thought I had all the words and I missed that one. I should just say standing in big word and keep on going. But anyway, through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth and became, took Ruth and she became his wife. Listen to this. And he went to her and the Lord enabled her to conceive. The Lord is in this. The Lord has brought her in. Boaz has redeemed her. But through that, the Lord has brought her into the redemption story. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law, for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given birth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amenadab, Amenadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Solomon, Solomon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. David, that was King David. She is brought in, this woman who's on the outside is brought in to the redemptive line from where Jesus will come from. Let's pray. Father, today, we thank you that not only do you save us, and Father, we are so grateful for that. 
Father, we don't know why, but you have asked us, can you urge us and you empower us to become part of the redemption story? And Father, I pray that we would long for that. And so, Father, as we read your word today and preach, I pray that you would come and speak into our hearts. And Father, help us to long for you. Father, help us to be desperate for you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at this whole picture, I know I've repeated myself over and over, but Ruth is destitute. She's in a foreign land. There's no reason for anybody to help her. And she, her only hope is Boaz, the kinsman redeemer. The harvest is over. Soon there won't be any grain left in the field. And we talked about on Wednesday night that she comes to this place and Naomi says you're going to have to come to this place you go in and Boaz is going to be sleeping on this grain that they've gleaned he'll be there because they stay and watch their grain all night go up uncover his feet and curl up at his feet and wait and see what he will do we talked about this on Wednesday night of of the curling up at the feet of the kinsman redeemer This is an act of complete submission. It's an act of asking, can I be uh, in a marriage relationship with you? Total submission to the kinsman redeemer. And she just waits to see what he will do. God asks us to come to this same place with Jesus. He is our kinsman redeemer. And he calls us to this place where we realize that there is nothing that we have to offer. We are completely destitute. We have to understand that nothing that we have is of our own. Everything comes from God. And we come to Him and we don't say, Hey, look, I've got lots of things to offer. I have all this talent. I have all this money. I have all this whatever. We come to Him and we have to understand we are completely destitute. There's nothing that would make Him want us. There's nothing that uh, He owes us. There's, there's nothing that we have to offer. offer. Ruth offers nothing. And she curls up at the feet of the kinsman redeemer and is at his mercy. And I want us to understand this morning, that is the place that we have to get. We have to come to this place where we curl up at the feet of Jesus and just ask for his mercy and say, whatever you want is what I want. Whatever you want to do with me is what I want to have done. But Father, I just need you. I am desperate for you. I am desperate to be redeemed by you. And that's where she is you curl up at the feet of Jesus very often? Do you find your, your, yourself in your home in a place where you're curling up regularly at the feet of Jesus? Where you're at this place where you understand that, that I have nothing to offer, I just want God. Are you desperate for God? Ruth and Naomi were desperate for redemption. Ruth and Naomi were desperate for a work in their life. Are you desperate for a work of God in your life? To where you curl up at the feet of Jesus on a regular basis just saying, God, whatever you have for me. As I've read this book and studied through this last four or five weeks, the picture that is stuck in my mind is Ruth curled up at the feet of the kinsman redeemer. I want to be curled up at the feet of Jesus. At His mercy, whatever He wants for me, whatever He has for me, that's where I want to be. Now today, as we talk about this, we also want to talk about the day that it is. It's, it's the Pentecost. It's the, it's the birthday of, Je- the, of the, the church. 
And the disciples are much like, they are just, I mean, the, the parallels to the story is of, of, of Naomi and Ruth and the disciples is exactly what it should be. The Bible always does that. What they thought would happen didn't. I, I don't think that Ruth ever thought that she would be in this place where she was so destitute. But that's where she was. When the disciples threw in with Jesus along the Sea of Galilee, and when they were watching him do all these uh, miracles and <coughs> watching him do all the things that he was doing, I don't think they ever thought they would be hiding in an upper room in Jerusalem after Jesus had been killed. He's gone to heaven, and, and they don't know what to do. I don't think they pictured that that's where they would be, but that's where they were. And they didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know what to do. Jesus said, go to this place and wait. And that's the last thing that he told them. And they did. And he says to wait, and it gets difficult. And when we're in this place of waiting, and we're not hearing from God or anything, and and it's the days before the Holy Spirit has come, imagine, I imagine that they have a lot of questions in their mind. How did I get here have i really heard jesus right is this really what jesus has for me and you start doubting yourself at this point is this really what jesus said can i really trust jesus i I mean i know that i saw him alive but he has been taken i've also seen him taken up to heaven and he's not here and i can't see him and he's told me to wait but i don't even know what i'm waiting for Can I really trust God? Why doesn't God do something? You ever been there? You ever asked God, why don't you do something? I don't see you. I don't hear you. I can't feel you. Have I made this up in my mind? Because what was so real to me before, I cannot feel. I'm going to tell you folks, there are times when you can't feel, see, or hear God. And this is where the disciples are. And if you think that that doesn't happen, you're wrong. Lots of times people paint this picture of this life with Christ. And I'm going to tell you, it's the best life. And there are times that that he feels so, so close. But there are times, and we see it right here in in the life of the disciples. We see it in the life of Ruth and Naomi where it doesn't seem like God is around. It doesn't seem like God hears. And we're at this place where we say, God, do you hear me? Are you around? Is this real? What I felt was real. Am I just playing tricks in my mind? God, where are you? Do something. (coughs) and yet he tells us to wait Ruth and Naomi are soon going to be out of food harvest is over God can you do something the disciples are running out of options they can't stay in Jerusalem forever God can you do something I believe both of them came to this same place and we see it in the story of Ruth, where she curls up at the feet of her Redeemer and says, save me, kill me, but I'm putting my life in your hands. I believe the disciples were in the same place. I, ca- I, be- I-, I believe that they came to this place. I believe that many of them were on their face on the floor, completely surrendered. I surrender all my dreams, all my hopes, all my plans. I give it all up. Slay me or save me. I give it all to you. I really do believe that many of the disciples were on the floor 
spread out, praying in this place of total surrender, just like Ruth was in this place where she is curled up at the feet of her Redeemer and saying, whatever you do is what I want. Whatever you do is what I want. I'll tell you what, folks, I want to stay curled up at the feet of Jesus in that place of total surrender because that's when Jesus usually moves. That's when God moves. I know there are many of you who have come to the place where you've just laid out on the floor and cried out to God, God, whatever you want, just be with me. Just let me know you're here. When Ruth got to this point where she totally surrendered, then the Redeemer responded. When the disciples got to this point of total surrender, then we see the Holy Spirit come. They wanted so bad to have Jesus. That's all they wanted was Jesus. They wanted what Jesus... And when they get to this desperate point... And when we get to this desperate point that all we want is Jesus, then He comes. The problem is, we don't get desperate for Jesus. We want the problem fixed. We want the pain to stop. We want comfort and peace. But do we really want Jesus? The disciples had little hopes of things going well. But they still wanted Jesus. When they got to the place that they only wanted Jesus, He came in the form of the Holy Spirit. It says that the Spirit filled them and and they recognized that it was Jesus. They recognized that the Spirit that was in them was the same Spirit of, of the Jesus that had walked with them. And as soon as it happened, they knew what was going on. And then what did they do? I think we we tend to have this idea. That, that the most important thing in the world is to get saved and to miss hell. And that is important. <coughs> but we get to this place where we can hardly wait for heaven and, and, and we just talk about just making it to heaven. Now I'm going to tell you, I, I believe that heaven is wonderful. But the redemptive plan of God is to make us holy here for his service here, for his service now, and to be bringing in others and to be part of the redemption story now. Heaven is something that we look forward to, but God has, has, has equipped us and has cleaned us and has infilled us to do the part of the redemptive story now. Our relationship with Him is not something that we have to wait until death takes us there to have. He seeks for us to have the relationship now. Death will be a seamless transition from this world to another. The relationship will not change. We either have a relationship or we don't. And God has called us to be part of His redemption right now. The redemption of others right now. What happened to the disciples was was to bring others to Christ. You know that the disciples were way better at leading people to Christ than Jesus was? There's way more people came to know who Christ was through the disciples than while Jesus was on the earth. And the, and the story of the disciples, the story of Ruth, was not to end with just their salvation, with just their redemption. The story of Ruth could end with her being redeemed. And that would be a wonderful story, wouldn't it? 
The story could end with, with Jesus dying and being raised from the dead and speaking to his disciples and then be taken up into heaven. And that would be a wonderful story. If that was the end of it, that would still be a wonderful story. But it doesn't end there. That's, that's not the end. He, he comes back and he infills the disciples so that they can bring others into the story. He takes Ruth and, and he redeems her, but he doesn't just redeem her. He says, you are a foreigner and you were out, but now you're part of the family. And she is brought into the very line of Jesus Christ. What a re- wonderful redemptive story. God seeks to bring each of us into the family. We're not the foreigner anymore. We're not the outcast. We're, we're part of the family and God has called us to be part of bringing others in. Don't you think Ruth had a wonderful story to tell everybody? I was, I was out. There was no way anybody would have anything to do with me. There's no reason for anybody to have anything to do with me. And I came to these people, the Jewish people, and, and, and this guy who didn't even know me redeemed me. And not only did he redeem me, he took me in and, and I was made his wife. And I imagine, and she didn't know it at the time, but all through heaven, she will always be the f- mother of the grandfather of King David. She is held in high esteem throughout all of Israel to this day. The Moabitess, who was an outcast. And we don't do it to get credit, but but God seeks to do those same things in your life. He He seeks to bring you in so that you can be part of redeeming others. How is it that he does this? Why would he do it? Because he loves us. The disciples started this Christian church. God fills them with his Holy Spirit and they began to to speak and since then millions have come to know God (coughs) through the work they did after they were redeemed, after they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Folks, it's not God's plan for you to be a spectator in the plan of redemption. It is God's plan for you to be part of the story. Boaz said, I will not be a spectator. I will not be a spectator while one of our own needs to be redeemed. No matter how much it costs, I'm going to get involved in the plan of redemption. And when he got involved, others were brought in and they became part of the line of Jesus Christ. The disciples said, we will not be spectators in what has happened. We're going to get and be part of the story. And the Holy Spirit filled them up and they began to minister. And many, many, many more people came to know Christ through them. The trouble is, when you're in the middle of it, you can't see it. You don't see all that's going on. But God, but, but God has called us not to be a spectator, and, and God has called us to be part. And I think many times we get to this place where we're saved, and then we just sit and watch. And that is not God's plan for us at all. Boaz was not a spectator. He got involved. The reason that you don't hear of hardly any other kinsman redeemers is that no one else wanted to get involved. You know that most people that go to church will never lead anybody else to Christ because it's just too hard to get involved in the story. It costs too much. It takes too much time. It takes too much effort. Being part of a redeeming people.
people, of, of drawing other people in, cost. Jesus paid the price with his life. The disciples prayed, paid the price with their life. It costs us, the church, to get involved. It will cost you time and effort and heartache and heartbreak and money and pain when you get involved in redeeming others and helping others into the redemption story. Relationships, which is what it takes, takes time and effort and money. And that's why many people don't get involved. They just attend church. They come and they watch. But they do not become part of the redemptive story. And I'm telling you this morning, church, God is calling you to be part of the redemption story, not to be a spectator of the redemption story. What if when the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, that they just stayed in the upper room? What if they just said, man, this is awesome. The Holy Spirit has come. I feel the Spirit of Jesus. Let's just stay up in here together and enjoy what the Holy Spirit's doing in our lives right here. What would have happened that day? Nothing. They would have enjoyed it. But what about the 3,000 that needed to hear the word that was spoken that day? If they'd have stayed in that room, the 3,000 that would have got saved would have never got saved. But they stepped out of the room. They didn't just enjoy what happened in the church service. We, have to, we need to enjoy what happens in here. We need to enjoy that. But we are called to step outside of the walls. And speak what God has spoken into our lives. He has called us to be part of the plan of redemption. How do you think that would make Jesus feel? If he came and then filled the disciples and they stayed in the room. I think he would have felt like that was a lot of trouble for nothing. You know, I hung on a cross, I took all your sins, I I made it possible so that you could be brought back into a right relationship with God. I I took all that on my own self so so that we could clean you, so that we could fill you with the Holy Spirit, so that you could tell others, and now you're not telling anybody. Kind of a waste, don't you think? We cannot be satisfied to be spectators. Jesus died so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be filled with His Holy Spirit, so that we could tell others. We've talked about our church, about our goal to have 1,010 people by 2020. In order to do that, I've told you that we need to win two people. How are you doing on that one? You know that most Christians never lead anybody to Christ? Most Christians enjoy what God wants to do in their life, but they don't allow themselves to become part of the redemptive story. And that's not what God has called us to at all, church. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved. How would you like to be part of that? Doesn't that sound like something you'd like to be part of? I would love to be part of that. You think God just wanted that one Sunday to be, that one day to be a day when he comes and he says, okay, I'm never going to do anything like that again. I don't think that that's what he wants. I think that he is longing for his church to come and curl up at his feet and say, God, we just want what you want. We don't care about buildings. We don't care about numbers. We don't care about anything. We don't care about programs. We just want what you want. And he wants a church who loves him so much that they curl up at his feet and say, God, whatever you want. 
So he can infill people. Not just one or two, but a whole church to go out into your place of work and to the school and, and, the, and, and into your families who don't know Christ and speak words of life so that you can become part of the redemptive plan. But are we as desperate for God as the disciples were? Are we as desperate for redemption as Ruth was? Are we curled up in the floor crying out to God just so God would move? Are we really interested in being part of the story? Or are we just interested in getting to heaven? Do you understand how that sounds? Jesus, all I want you for is to get me to heaven. But I don't want to be part of any of the work that might be done. You ever have somebody that's, you only want them around for, or they only want you around for what you can give? You ever have somebody that just, hey, can you help me? Hey, can I use this? I'm kind of that person. I'm just being honest with you. I have friends, and I'm just thinking about it in my mind. Sometimes when I call people, (laughs) they know I'm just asking for something. Can I borrow this? Can I borrow that? Hey, Jesus, all I really want you around for is just so I can get to heaven. I really don't want to be part of this, what you're trying to do here. I'll come and watch, and and, and I'll take part, and I'll give my offering, and I'll come to Sunday school, but, but really don't ask me to, don't ask me. I'm just not that desperate to be part of the story. Satisfied with life the way it is. Ruth was desperate for the Redeemer. She curled up at a Redeemer's feet and waited to see what he would do. The disciples, desperate for Jesus, waited in the upper room, curled up in prayer, desperate for Jesus. I'm going to ask you a question this morning. Are you desperate for Jesus? Redemption comes when Ruth gets desperate. Revival came when the disciples got desperate. I want to be very honest. I want you to be very honest with yourself this morning. Ask yourself honestly, am I desperate for Jesus? Am I curled up in submission at my Savior's feet, desperate for Him to move in my life? Or am I so comfortable in this life that I have lost my desperateness for Jesus? Am I desperate for Jesus? Missy, I want you to come. Jimmy. I would like for you to sing that song that you sang at prayer time. What was it? Huh? How did... Yes, that's the one. I want us to stand. Once you understand this morning, I'm not talking about getting saved today. I'm talking about Jesus' people taking a real look and an inventory in their life and asking yourself, am I desperate for Jesus? 
Am I desperate to get back to a lifestyle of staying curled up at my Redeemer's feet? Desperate for Him to move in my life. Whatever that looks like. Church board. Sunday school teachers. Discipleship group leaders. Nursery workers. Kids workers. Teen workers. Worship team. Welcome people. Pastors. Are we desperate for Jesus? I mean really desperate. Again, I'm not talking about getting saved. I'm talking about the church this morning. Praying to be awakened. Praying that that desperateness would be awakened in us today. And that we would leave here and live a life curled up at the feet of Jesus desperate for him to move in our lives and the lives of our family and the people that are around us are you desperate for Jesus today if you need to pray this morning come as we sing this song